Welcome to Wild Hearts at Work, a podcast redefining our relationship with work through stories and conversations with Wild Hearts who have dared to challenge the status quo. And now, here's your host, Melissa Boggs. Hello, friends, and welcome to this episode of Wild Hearts at Work. Our phrase and our word of the day is people, which sounds kind of crazy, right? Like on the Wild Hearts at Work podcast that we would talk about people. (laughs) But um, I'm super excited to invite to the podcast uh, Mr. Tom Hollis, who is the chief people officer of Zappi and cares a lot about people. Uh, Tom, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Yeah, really great. Thank you, Melissa. Thanks for having me. I'm loving having the English accent on the podcast too. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <I've> <laughs> it just makes lot. it makes everything feel a little bit more elegant. Um, so, welcome to the podcast. Um, why don't you just start by telling our listeners a little bit about Zappy and about yourself and your role? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, so Zappy, um, we we built a platform that helps creators, so marketers and insights people who are developing new products and ad campaigns and things like that. We help them um, improve those things using consumer feedback. So it's the automation of data, the collection of data, and also the analysis and visualization of it. Um, And my role as chief people officer is really about how we create uh, an amazing experience for everyone who comes and works for us. Um, And yeah, how we do that across every different aspect of the employee experience. So like what gets me out of bed is creating meaningful experiences of work. My little wild heart is like fluttering <laughs> just at that phrase. Um, I love that. And we sort of stumbled upon each other because you posted something on LinkedIn that just made my little wild heart spidey senses go off uh, because your organization has maybe a little bit of a progressive PTO policy. Um, why don't you tell us about it and tell us how you got there? Yeah, sure. So, so we, we were founded sort of eight or nine years ago, um, and as we grew the business from a startup into you know moving into a scale up, we're not massive. We're about three hundred people now, but we're we're rapidly growing. Um, we always wanted to hold on to that feeling that we had when we were a startup, where it's like we just manage our own time. You know, we treat people like adults. If you need to take time, take time. You know, we trust you to get the job done. Um, and so, as we've grown the business, as we've introduced more people, we tried to keep hold of that and. One of the ways like you saw was we've always had this unlimited um, PTO policy, which is just, yeah, like if you need to take time off, do we want well-rested teams? We want people coming in motivated, ready to do the work. Um, and so we've always had that. It's always worked for us. A few years ago, a couple of years ago, we started noticing that there was a growing minority of people who weren't taking enough, making enough use of the policy. So like I think in some countries, for example, I think the US has a very different culture and attitude to PTO than maybe parts of Europe but also like certain roles or certain people that felt pressured to do the job weren't weren't in my mind taking enough leave and were were starting to see some burnout because of it so um, and then obviously it comes along with the the pandemic as well and you know everyone just being locked to their screens and you know the the general angst and anxiety that came came around with that as well so so we decided to shift our policy and say actually instead of this unlimited that's great like okay if you need to take lots of holiday if you feel like you can get your work done and take loads and loads of leave that's fine we're not going to put any controls around that but we want a minimum as well right we want to make sure that everyone is taking enough leave 
Um, and so we took like what what is effectively the UK statutory, which is 20 days a year plus whatever your local um, kind of national holidays or bank holidays are, and that's your that's your basis. So we're asking everyone to make sure they take that amount. Um, but if you want to take more, that's fine as well. But we want to make sure that everyone's taking enough. And I think the, the other thing that we realized was even when you're taking time out, when a business is moving really fast, everything's going on all of the time, like you feel a certain, a lot of people feel a certain pressure to keep up. It's almost like FOMO, right? You feel like, oh, there's so much going on. Like I'm going to come back and I'm going to have loads of messages. And I, I, you know, I don't want don't to be left out. And that's real. Like I feel that, you know, I feel that. Um, and, and so what we decided, we decided, we did it for the first time last year. We said, do you know what? We've all been working so hard. We've been pushing so hard in a scaling business like ours. It doesn't slow down. So let's just let's just shut the doors for a day. So everyone just stops working. You know that messages aren't going to be building up. We can all go do something with the people we love, the things we love, whatever it is. Let's just go and do something that isn't isn't working for a day. Um, and it, and it was brilliant actually. It was liberating. I think considering you know the the time that we took out, it had a really sizable impact. I think. On what was, you know, quite a, quite a tired group of people in in many ways. It was it was, it was a difficult moment um, last year, and so this year we decided to we said, okay, that's worked once. Let's do it once a quarter, you know. And I think we we're not in a place where, like, I, I'm I'm quite keen to talk about four day working week. Um, hey. with, so that <laughs> conversation. I feel like with our investors and our and our and our management team, we're not quite there yet. There's a lot going on. And I think this is our sort of gradual evolution potentially to that place at some point down the line. Um, so yeah, we're doing like once a, every, every couple of months now, we're, we're closing shop for a day and everyone's gonna go do something they love, people they love. Um, and we just did one last week actually, it was brilliant. I took my daughter to gymnastics uh, and I went for a really nice walk. And then I went to the pub and had a pint and I absolutely, it was brilliant. Yeah, I love that. And I bet people bring back stories too, right? They bring back like, what did they do on their day? And that brings sort of an energy to the organization. Um, I want to back up just a little bit. You mentioned that you started to notice that people weren't using their time. How did you know? Like, was there data that you were watching or did you notice through behaviors? How did you know it wasn't quite working? Yeah, yeah, I think both actually. So it's it's really interesting. Obviously, when you, when you talk about unlimited holiday, I was like, oh, how does that work in practice? You know, our experience really of it is it's a bell curve. Like m- most people are somewhere around the, the statutory for for their like for their country. You know, a few people take quite a lot of holiday, and a few people don't take very much. You know, and so it was looking at that data over time and saying actually. You know, we want to try and address this because that 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 group, that sort of, it's a minority, but it was a not insignificant minority of people who were just really not taking very much. So I think that's that's the one thing. And then I think the other thing is looking at um, both quantitative and qualitative feedback from the organisation, just in terms of how people are doing. You know, like I think for anyone who's been involved in a scaling organisation through the COVID pandemic. I think everyone's had, everyone's had their own challenges, right? And I wouldn't I wouldn't claim that ours have been any harder than other other people or other organizations. But I think it is um it is a particularly kind of uh, interesting set of challenges trying to scale an organization that's moving really fast when all of this stuff is going on outside as well. And you know, like you're having to like we're, we've always been very distributed, but having to do that in a distributed way and, and, and all of these things. Um, so I think it was looking at 
those those data points that we were getting back, both discussions of how people were doing and talking to people who were feeling a bit burned out and that sort of stuff, and also looking at our like the actual trends of how much time people were taking off. Like, you know, I think we should change this. I think we should change it. And and then the nice thing, I think this is where what I really value about culture is where you're able just to get stuff done quite quickly. I was able to just go to to our part of the leadership team to go to them and say, look, I think we should do this. Do they want to object? No, cool, wicked, let's just do it. Great. Okay, that's amazing because my next question was going to be, you know, what conversations had to happen or like was there angst about doing it? And it sounds like it was just like everyone on the leadership team saw the need and they just said yes. Is that accurate? Yeah, do you know what? It's two Slack messages. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It was was one in the leadership team channel. This is what I want to do and why. And then it was one in general saying, this is what I want to do and why. Anyone got any feedback? And was like, bang, bang, bang. Yes, yes, yes. Cool, let's do it. Wow. Is that typical of your team or was this just so obvious that, you know, it just was a given to do yeah i mean i think i think it's typical of the focus that we put on well-being um but it also fit to to me it was just so obvious and i think everyone you know most organizations have been thinking like right over the last couple of years like what can we do more to support people because you know it has been a really difficult time yeah for sure um and was it the same for the kind of shutting the office down was it that simple too yeah, 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 it was actually. I mean, we had a few more discussions. So we have obviously talked about like, okay, well, how do we, like, what about how do we work with customers and things like that? And do we put like a skeleton grew in place? So we had some discussions around that. And in the end, we decided not to actually. We thought, you know what, our customers will understand what we're doing. And actually, I think it's good that they, I think it will do us, it will do our brand some good that people know that we're taking care of our staff. So we just put a message on the website. We put in everyone's email signatures about two weeks before. Um, so yeah, there's a few conversations about that, but it was pretty straightforward. Well, and you're setting a great example too. I mean, you're actually role modeling for your customers, even though, you know, what they've signed up for with you is entirely different from people management. You know, you're still setting a really good example. Mm. So I noticed on LinkedIn that you've been at Zappy, appears from the beginning, um, from the beginning of Zappy. So I have to imagine that an organization who has mandatory minimum PTO and shuts the office down once a quarter for a whole day has probably evolved to that, right? Um, In some way, shape or form. So I'm curious about the people journey at Zappy and how you've evolved culturally as an organization. Yeah, yeah, really great question. And and I think think you're right. Um, To go back to what I said earlier on, when when we started the business, you know, when when you're in startup land, like it's great because you're, it's really dynamic. You're doing so many different things. You've got your finger in so many different pies. Um, and we wanted to kind of keep hold of that dynamism and the entrepreneurial spirit and all of those sorts of things as we scaled. And um, so the way that we try to approach that is really to lean into principles and, you know, like kind of working agreements rather than scaling like hard and fast policies and all sorts of things. So actually like the minimum um, leave I, I did pause to, to think about it before we went because I don't believe in parenting people. I think we should bring adults into the business and treat them with respect and, and you know, let them get on with their jobs. And so these policies that actually say, no, we really like you have to you have to sort of 
question like are we being kind of overbearing with these sorts of things in this instance i thought actually no i believe in this so much that i want to do it but that's that's kind of the approach that we've taken as we've scaled um i, I like to think because i originally came from a product background i like to think about it as minimal viable policies right what's like the minimum amount of what's the minimum kind of policy framework you can put in place so that people are productive and whole and like yes so you're compliant as an organization but that's really like the afterthought you know like let's treat people in, in the business well um so i guess how, how it's evolved um we leaned uh, for for several years we leaned quite heavily into like the teal stuff around self-organization if you've if you're familiar with like Frederick Lelou's work and the case studies he did and that sort of stuff, right? Yeah, you're not doing amazing. Mm -hmm. So that's leaning into like, okay, can we have real self-management and think about, you know, everyone, people bringing their whole selves to work. And he talks about evolutionary purpose as well. So like a kind of purpose that bubbles up from the ground rather than always just coming from, from, from leadership. Um, and that served us really well in many ways. And I think it created a really incredible place to work. But it also created some friction as well over a few years. I think if we're honest, like there were different opinions about how to run the organization and things like that. And and so there, there was internal conflict at times as well. And, and so where we've netted out um, as we've scaled, like I said, so we, we were 200 people a year ago. Now we're 300 in 18 months, I suspect we'll be 500. So it's, it's even though we're not huge, it's scaling quite quickly. Um, and I think where we've netted out is a really nice blend of some more traditional structures. So introducing management roles to support people's growth and that sort of stuff, but still holding on to that idea of like, let's just bring amazing people into the business. Let's set them up for success and just get out of their way, you know? Yeah, that's really beautiful. So, so to sort of recap, you, you kind of, I almost said dabbled. It's way more than dabbled because you spent years in self-organization. Mm. Um, but there was some level of conflict. And I think this is fairly normal um, as as companies get bigger. You start to see these like cross-team, you know, cross-department, whatever it might be, um, communication channels. You also have more people who are seeking, like you said, professional development and growth and can't always see for themselves what that path is from their particular place in the organization. Like it's no um, negative on them. They just, you know, from their perspective, can't see the whole picture. Mm. And so there's like a minimal, it's almost like you have minimal viable hierarchy too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, which which um, is a whole time. Do you know what? There's, there's a really interesting, actually a really interesting dynamic that's come up around this recently is titles. So mm. we've had always on our, like the commercial side where you have salespeople who are a bit more customer facing. We've always had titles in the past. We haven't had them in engineering at all. So it's been a very, very flat structure in terms of like, terms of job titles and we always did that because we want great ideas to win out rather than the weight of opinion based on someone's title right mm -hmm. that's where we've always got to and you know which I think is I think is right as a principle but at the same time you know I've had lots of conversations recently particularly with some of the women in our organization who have said to me well do you know what in the past I've always had to fight for titles I've always seen people other people with titles that outstrip mine and I felt like Hang on, what, like we're doing the same same job and those sort of things, and and I think 
a title that reflects the work that you're doing is actually can actually be really important to people as well so where where i talk i mean when i said i, th I feel like we're getting to a really nice a good place with it is to say actually that original principle of we don't want titles to dictate how decisions are made like we want really great ideas from anyone across the business um, regardless of what your title is we can really hold on to that but we can also say actually yeah like we can introduce some leveling to help you understand if you're going to apply for a job elsewhere what kind of job you would apply for or to give you access to that particular community that's looking for people with the same kind of title that, 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 that you have you know I think you can have both at the same time and that's kind of the where we've got to with some of these things is trying to find yeah like you say a really nice balance to to, to kind of account for these different issues well, right, because we can't pretend that we don't live in the bigger world. You know, like I am 100% a wild heart at work. Anyone who listens to this podcast or knows me knows that. But we also have to be pragmatic that we live in a bigger world. There's like a context that is beyond the organization that we are in. Right. And I love that you sort of acknowledge and recognize that, but you also say, okay, then we're going to be really intentional, you know, not only about how I have to imagine that we like design these titles, but then how we treat them and how we treat people um, on the other side of it. And I think that's where it becomes important. Like it's not actually about the words, right? It's not actually about the title. It's about how that title is perceived and how people are perceived inside and outside of that title in the org. And equipping them, you know, to continue on their journey. And frankly, I've been a little guilty of this in the past of not balancing that and being so like, oh, you know, um, titles don't matter. Right. I'll just own this. And for the folks who actually like worked with me in previous jobs, go ahead and laugh. It was really easy for me to say that because I did have a title. Right. 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 I, you know, I'm, I'm chief people officer. I'm going to sit there with somebody who's telling me a title is important to them and tell them it's not. I'm I'm not going to do that. <laughs> right. You know, I was the, the co-CEO of Scrum Alliance and and my intentions were good. And, I, and I'm pretty sure my folks knew that. Like my intentions were good, just like yours in terms of the principle and the value that we were trying to hold, which was mm -hmm. titles don't dictate the value of your ideas. Right. But, you know, people would say, like, I need a title when I go to an event and, like, tell people what I do. And I'm like, oh, but titles don't matter. And the whole time I'm sitting here with this CEO title. So owning it for those who are listening who know me. Um, but but I love the balance that you're striking with that. Um, I'm curious around that, like, how have you set intentions to ensure that those titles don't become kind of the, um, I don't know, overpowering thing that you don't want them to become? Yeah. Yeah. I think the first thing is just talking about it. Right. And, and, and being clear about what it is that you want. Um, I think the second thing is that even though some of the structures in our organization have changed, there are things that there's continuity all the way from like the, the day that we um, you know started the business. So, for example, we use the advice process, which Frederick Lou talks about, which is you know, anyone can make any decision 
just consult with people who are impacted, so everyone who's going to be impacted, and some people who are experts who can help you make a better decision. So, you know, we talk about that a lot. Like when you join, we have a conversation about it and what it means and, and all of those sorts of things. Um, and that's been a, a running thread. So even now we have a little bit, we have some hierarchy in the business. We still ask everyone to adhere to that. So you can go and talk to people. It happens in my team all the time. Like someone comes and talks to me and says, I want to do this. And I'm like, oh, I'm not sure I agree with that for this, this reason. But like you need to decide for yourself. Go away and decide and then tell me what you're going to do. This is my perspective. You know, and if they go in a different direction, then that's totally fine. So it's that that's the kind of dynamic. It was interesting, actually. The advice process was a really interesting one because I think we, I, I said we, we actually introduced that probably around the third year that we had been going. So we maybe were about 60 people by that point anyway. And we sort of introduced it at the end of the year. And we we're like, right, we're going to do this advice process. Everyone, like, like now there's no more need to, for approvals about anything. Like we, and our CEO sent a letter to everyone over Christmas. And I was like, this is what we're going to do. And we came back in January thinking there was going to be chaos. <laughs> I remember like I remember like going into the office thinking like people can do anything now. <laughs> you know, like there's no control. There's nothing. Like, people can do I went to the office and it was like it was like just a, you know, nothing going on. I was like, when are they gonna start doing stuff? <laughs> You know, it was, a, it was a really interesting learning, actually, because partly we thought, oh, you introduced the advice process, and now people, people are going off starting loads of projects and doing all kinds of things. Blah, blah. And the reality is, every organization has got a particular direction that they're going in. And people don't just, like, this is the, oh, how can you do that? How can you let people make any decisions? Well, because most people just look at it and go, how can I best serve the purpose of this organization? That's what I'm here to do. You know, and a lot of the time that's what they were doing before, or maybe it's an evolution of what they were doing before, whatever it is. And so it took, you know, it probably wasn't until a year or two after that. I was like, oh, actually, this is just quite normal. You know, it just it's great. It means that we were on the right track and, you know, and people believe in what we're doing and all of these sorts of things. But like almost these like illusory controls that we had before are just kind of meaningless. And the value that you get from doing it is that people just feel super empowered. So <laughs> that, right. that that was our sort of experience, and so that's why we've held on to it even till today. I'm I'm imagining that Tom was expecting to walk into the office and have like someone walking past him like with a zebra on a leash, right? And like he's expecting like confetti from the ceiling. He's expecting like acrobatics. Like there's just a plain circus in the org, and everyone's just like at their desk typing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And like, you know, like another example is we don't we don't have our expenses policy, like you will hear from lots of organizations like ours, is just spend company money as if it's your own. So we don't do it, approvals, like all of our expenses go into our finance team and they check things over and like if they feel like there's a consistency question or whatever they might chat to chat to people. But I think in the years that we've been doing it we've probably had two or three instances. Yeah, we're talking about thousands of expense reports and there's probably two or three instances where we've had to go and talk to somebody and say, I think this isn't okay, we need to have a chat. You know, it's so, so rare. And the value to us as a business is we don't have to have any, like, like leaders in the organization aren't spending any time looking at expense receipts. How much time cumulatively over the last eight years 
would that have been? I, I like dread to think, you know. So this this is the, I think that's this is like the minimal viable policy thing that I'm talking about. Absolutely. And it's all those things tie together, right? People don't wake up in the morning and ask themselves, how can I screw my company? <laughs> you know, how can I really mess things up today? How can I take advantage? You know, and am I naive to think that there are not people that take advantage? Well, no. I mean, sure, there are criminals out there, but most of them don't work for your company. And right. and, and and you, Tom, but anyone listening, most of them don't work for your company. I mean, I love the pure example that you have, that in eight years, maybe there was one or two instances. And even in those, I would venture to guess that it wasn't nefarious, that it was like maybe pushing a little bit of a boundary or maybe misunderstanding, you know, kind of what we're going for. But it wasn't someone trying to like, you know, ruin everything. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But to be honest, I mean, even if it was, and I think this this is like the core of it, is legislate for the minority for the majority of people. Like the majority of people who are there for all of the right reasons and really care about what you're doing, really care about their job and really care about having an impact and all those sorts of things. And then, you know, where bad things happen, just address them with people, but don't legislate for all of the bad things that can happen because you end up putting so many constraints in place that people feel disempowered. And then actually, paradoxically, it's like cyclical. You start doing that, then like you probably get more of those sorts of behaviours because people just feel like they're in a much more of a rigid structure and they feel less trusted and all of these sorts of things. Absolutely. So I'm curious, in an organisation with, you know, some things here that I love with my whole heart that are a little bit out of the box. How do you hire and how do you onboard people and prepare them for that? Because some people actually don't want that. Yeah. So how do you do that? Yeah. Yeah. Not always that well, to be honest, in the past, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's something that we've we've had to really, really learn about and, 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 and kind of evolve. I think, um, I'm also a massive believer in, um, culture ad rather than culture fit. Like why get people and, and, you know, look, we're, we're a fast scaling organization. So what we've done up until now is not going to get us where we need to be, right? It just, it just won't. So we need a different perspective and a different set of skills and all of those things. And so we've, we've, we've introduced people who are not comfortable in the environment that we were when we were a startup. And there's been tension around that, and that's been really helpful and healthy for us, and it's enabled us to grow. Um, and yes, it's meant some changes in practices and things like that, but like bringing that expertise in, it's not always about getting people who are really comfortable with all of these like slightly off the wall things that we're doing, because they can actually help like pick holes in them and help you refine them and make them work in an even better way. Um, what I would say is that we've kind of from from a leadership perspective we aligned around like what are the most important things that we want from our leaders um and so we we um use those in our interview processes and those things um but i think the main things that we're looking for are people who are adaptable who are coachable who are open to feedback who are open to listening and, and understanding before they act and then actually whatever their perspective is we, we care less about because you're willing to listen and take on different ideas before you decide what to do you know then you're going to contribute in a really positive way to our culture so 
I think to answer your question, part of it was about defining what those things are and what we want from, from people joining the business. And then it was like, okay, how can we be honest with folk before they join about what to expect? And when I say we haven't always got it right, there've been times when I think we've sold, sold, sold the company and people have joined us and gone, oh no, this isn't for me. And then it hasn't worked out. But we've gotten much better at having those conversations early and saying like, but this is what we're about. Like there's some great stuff that we're doing. There's some stuff that's not perfect. There's some stuff that's a bit messy and maybe a bit dysfunctional over here and here, but we'd love you. We'd love your help with this stuff. This is what you can expect from us. This is what we'd expect from you. I think when you have those conversations, when you're recruiting people, like you do occasionally get people who will say, actually not for me, but for those people who get it, it's like, okay, yeah, cool. This is me, I'm home. And then they're in and, you know, people tend to stick around quite a long time when, when they join Zafi, which is great. Yeah, that, what I find interesting and I think is probably advantage, advantageous and disadvantageous, and you can tell me, is that you started this way. Like we hear so many organizations, especially now in the wake of the pandemic, realizing that they have to change where you were sort of born this way as an organization. The change is hard because the folks who joined the company when it was maybe a more traditional company, you're now changing it underneath their feet. I mean, you're now like, hey, I know this isn't what you signed up for, Mm. but this is the way that we're going. And I almost hear in a positive way, the opposite, like you were born this way. You are evolving those minimum viable policies and as you bring people in, you're continuing to evolve them. And maybe some of them are becoming like a little bit more, um, you know, structural, but still minimally. Um, but it's just interesting. Like you've had this um, ability to grow it from the ground up mm. in maybe a slightly unique way. Yeah. But, and I think that's right. But I think there's a really interesting dynamic here because when we, so as, as we, we had a, a few rounds of scaling, probably the last one um, you know, a couple of years ago, and we, we scaled quite a lot since then. And I went into that thinking, oh, we need to invest a lot of our time and energy in onboarding the people coming into our business so they really get these principles and so they you know, really um, uh, can get on board with them and, and contribute, but like, we'll be on a level. And as we went through that, I realized, actually, you need to invest just as much, if not more, in the people who are already there. Because you're bringing those folk folk in all with different perspectives and they're adding a huge amount. But it's also like the organization is changing from what it was three or four years ago. And when you have quite high tenure, you know, those people have got an emotional attachment to how the organization was a few years ago. I mean, I have as well. I have as well. So there's, there's a real kind of. There's, there's onboarding new people, but then there's also how can you continue to create the space for conversations about what the organization is becoming? Because otherwise it's just going to become that and your headspace might be in a different place. And I think that's where then frustration. So it's like, how do you bring all of these people together to have those conversations to create a new identity for an organization as it goes through multiple rounds of scaling? That is one of the big challenges, which I don't, I wouldn't say we figured out, but creating those spaces as a real priority. It's wonderful that you're thinking about that though. I mean, it's really clear to me that at Zappi, you are making 
the time and the space for people. And I say that because I think about the cartoon. Um, we actually see it a lot like in the agile space and in software development. It's the cartoon of like the the caveman with the car that has square wheels. Yeah. And it says like, we don't have time to like figure out better wheels. And it's like, you know, if you did, <laughs> you know, and so I always appreciate the organizations who recognize not just lip service, not just, Oh, we care about our people. So, you know, we give them bonuses once a quarter, but they're really investing in understanding human behavior and human relationships and which is what you're describing, like mm-hmm. new folks coming in, people who are already here. Like how do we invest and enrich those relationships and the relationship with the company itself? Um, and I think that's so important. And yet, you know, traditionally, let's say 20 years ago, you know, our predecessors in business maybe weren't thinking about that to the degree that we think about it now. Mm-hmm. Um, some were, but very few, I think. Mm. Um, and that you're still able to think about it at, what did you say? 400 people now, Mm. um, is really important. It's a different conversation, but you're still thinking about it. You're still talking about it. Um, anything else at Zappy that is, you know, on the, on the, off the beaten path side? Cause I'm, this is a gold mine. I am loving all of this. <laughs> it's like war stories, isn't it? You know. <laughs> um, do you know the one we did so a few a few years ago? I'll tell you this one. We did. Um, we tried doing self set salaries, so we did the uh, whole, whole engineering teams. And this this was probably four years ago or something. So it's not it's not that current. But we've moved away from it now. It was it was a really interesting experiment. I think if I was going to start a business tomorrow, I would start it with completely transparent salaries. And I would do self-set salaries and I would do all of these things. Cause, uh, but I think when you introduce that into an organization, uh, first of all, we didn't do transparent salaries because I think as you introduce it, you need people to join an organization like that. I don't think if anyone feels uncomfortable, then you shouldn't do it right? um, if, if you're introducing it to an organization. But yeah, that was a really, really interesting experiment. Um, we gave everyone loads of information about like the company trajectory and cash flow and all of this sort of stuff. We did 360s, we did some kind of like leveling and, and tried to like help people kind of see where they were on, on a framework. And we said, you just, you guys decide. We were probably 65 or 70 people in our engineering team at that point. Um, and we just gave everyone a Google form and like stick in what you want and like, let's see where we get to. Um, so I think the way we went about it was a mistake. <laughs> and we ended up like people everyone was rating each other on these 360s and giving really high scores because everyone was like oh this is about salaries and i'm going to give really really high scores and so they were then taking that data and then going oh cool you're asking me for a number this is what the number is so if i were going to go back i would do it very very differently and what we ended up doing is going around and having lots of conversations with people and talking about like where they were at and you know i think in the end of those sort of 70 or so people we probably had six or seven that we actually had to intervene with and say, either you're too high or you're too low. Mm. So there was about three or four people who were like, you're not asking for enough. You need to ask for more. And there was there was about the same amount um, where we had to say, I think you're asking for a little bit too much and like let's let's bring you down so that this is equitable. Um, it was a it was a really, really interesting experience. 
I can imagine that self-set salaries is something that would work really well in a in a small team. I know, I mean, I know it's saying that this is something that like Ricardo Semler was doing like back in like the 80s or whatever. So and in factories. So I know that it works, but like our experience of it was like it's actually a really hard thing to operationalize. And I got to the end of it and I just thought, you know what? Our goal with this was to just take cash off the table as a consideration for people so they could focus on the work and the stuff they feel passionately about. And we ended up having so many conversations about this process. And it went on for like several months of us like trying to make it work and trying to make it affordable and all these sorts of things. And I was like, we haven't really achieved what we set out to. And in fact, we've drawn more attention to it. So that for me, that was a really great example of like, I got really excited about it because I was like, oh, cool, self-set salaries. This would be like a really amazing thing for us to do. And we did our best to try and do it in an organized way and in a fair way and all those sorts of things. But it required a fair amount of conversation to, to get there. So now we do like, it's still very sort of devolved in the way that it works. So we have these frameworks, we do lots of benchmarking, all of these sorts of things. Um, everyone has a conversation to talk about their impact of the year. People can put forward, like, this is what I think I deserve, and all these sort of things. And then, then we run equity analysis and all this sort of stuff. So we try and make it still a very smooth and simple process, but we've made it a little bit more traditional than, than, than how it was a few years ago because of some of those um, some of those uh, te- I'll call them teething problems. I'll be generous. I love that phrase. That's so much better than like growing pains. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Teething problems. Um, that's incredible, though. I mean, it sounds like you have truly experimented and have been willing to say when things didn't work. Right. Um, and in other cases, maybe they were working mostly, and you just figured out, you know, how to continue to evolve it. Um, but always with, like you said, like the meaningful experience of your employees in mind. Um, and I think that's just, it's incredible. Um, I'm shocked. I'll be honest that we haven't, I feel like I'm on like the cutting edge of Zappy being famous, like why we haven't heard about these things more. Um, because you're trying things that most people read about in books. And then other people say, well, in the real world, um, (laughs) which is exactly why this podcast exists. So um, I'm so glad. I'm just so glad that you shared all of this with us and that you're sort of leading the way in some of these things. Um, So with that, my friend, um, I imagine there are a number of listeners right now who are like, "Mm, how can I work for Zappy? (laughs) So are you guys hiring? Are you still growing? Yeah, 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 we are, we are. And there'll be loads of roles going live in the next 12 months and things. So, um, yeah, check out our website, zappy.io, and the, the careers page on there. Um, and feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn as well. I'm always happy to to chat and share ideas and things. But, yeah, we'd lo- love to welcome anyone who wants to come work for us. Awesome. Um, can you tell listeners just, I know there's probably hundreds, but, like, what are some of the types of roles that you have at Zappy? I, I mean, obviously software engineers, but what else? Yeah, everything around like the software development life cycle. So we're hiring people in product, we're hiring UX folk, um, software engineers as well. Uh, we've got a really great operations team, so operationally minded people. Um, and then in our sales and customer success teams as well. And that goes from like the junior end, so people joining customer success through to 
uh, we've got lots of like global account managers and people working at high levels with big enterprises and things like that so yeah it's um hiring lots of marketing and insights people but also like software engineering and, and sales and customer teams awesome and you mentioned you're distributed so are you able to hire globally or are there specific countries that you're able to hire from yeah it's it really really distributes the team so our, we're headquartered in the uk but we've got an office a decent size office in south africa and then we've got people all over the states um and then we've literally got people dotted i think we've probably last count of something like 30 odd countries where um, we've got small groups of people dotted all over the place so yeah really welcome international um, hires as well awesome which is a whole other like level of culture ad i mean that's just really cool it's yeah, you learn things about the whole world that way. So that's really beautiful. Um, so I have one more question for you, and then we'll start to wrap this up. Um, question that I've asked every guest on season two. When you heard the name of the podcast, so I reached out to you um, you know, on LinkedIn and said, like, hey, I have this podcast. It's called Wild Hearts at Work. What was the first thing you thought of when you thought about, like, what a wild heart at work might be? Mm. Great question. Um, I think it, it, it's somebody who is prepared to take decisions that might not be universally popular or there might not be real alignment or consensus around those decisions, but who who's doing it for the right reasons, who's trying things and experimenting and being creative um, and, and trying to serve the people around them to 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 create a better experience of work so i think i think it's that it's being able to back yourself when you're doing things that maybe you feel a bit unsure about or nervous about and just thinking let's just try it like let's let's just try and see where we get to because actually the, the progress that comes through that even though it probably be different to how you how you set out is 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 where you can find real like gold so I don't know about you listeners, and he would never say it about himself, but I feel like Tom just described himself. And I think that's really, really beautiful. Because everything you've told me about what you've done at Zappy, I feel like you're such a wild heart. And that's amazing. <laughs> so you know, I need to caveat it by saying a lot of the stuff that we've done, I've done in collaboration with lots of different people. And I think actually the reason why my job is so easy is because when I have an idea or when somebody else has an idea, like we just get it we get it done and there's there's so many people who put themselves forward and like put great ideas forward and things like that so oftentimes like i'm just supporting this work sometimes it comes from me but there's so many amazing people involved so basically what he just said was zappy is like 400 wild hearts so again <laughs> i go back to um you know if you're looking you should definitely check out the roles at zappy because that sounds incredible um, so with that, Tom, thank you so much, not just for joining the show and sharing your story, but just for the work that you're doing and the work that you're supporting, because it's really important to the evolution of the future of work for all of us, you know, for, for some organizations to be trying these experiments and then sharing their stories so that other people know that they're possible. So thank you for being here and thank you for, um, doing the work that you're doing. Thank you, Melissa. It was really, really great to talk. Awesome. And for you, my friends, my listeners, thank you for being here. Thank you for joining another episode. And as always, remember to share, like, subscribe, and just come back. Um, I really appreciate all of you as well. So until next time, dear hearts, stay wild.
Thanks for joining us for this episode of Wild Hearts at Work. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share. For more resources and to connect with Melissa, visit melissaboggs.com. Also, if you or someone you know is doing great work in a wild way, get in touch about being a guest on the show. Until next time.